0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The series that we are in is entitled Ordinary, and we're taking a look at the disciples of Jesus Christ and really taking a look and seeing how that God chooses and uses regular ordinary people. And today we're going to take a look at the apostle john john is an interesting individual to take a look at in this context because we took a look at his brother james before so we took a look at james and in the gospels james and john are for the most part indistinguishable in fact, they're basically always mentioned together, James and John, sometimes Peter, James, and John. You would see them grouped together in so many ways, not just because they were brothers, but also because they were similar in disposition. We, we noted that Jesus gave them this nickname of the Sons of Thunder. And it gives a, a, an idea of their personality. And you see some of the passages in the Bible, how they were they were passionate, they were ambitious, they were... Uh, leaders they were thunderous in their personality if you want to think of it that way but when you read the gospel of John and when you read the epistles of John and you read the book of Revelation the impression that we get of John compared with James is very different we know that they were both leaders they were both in many ways when they were following Jesus somewhat self-centered somewhat ambitious, somewhat having this kind of louder personality in some ways, but when we think about John, I think if you read the Bible and you read the book of John, you read some of the epistles, the image that we have of John is very different from the image that we have of James, in large part because we see the writings of John and we see his growth, if you will. It's interesting because of the Uh, 12 disciples of course judas we know what happened to judas but of the remaining 11 james was the first to die and john was the last so you have these two individuals at the beginning are very very similar and you see that james just kind of continues on and his life was cut short he was martyred for the faith john though is able to continue In ministry he's continuing to grow in the Lord and you see what God can do with someone if they will just continue to follow God and how much they grow over long periods of time I think about some of the tallest trees in the world uh, the, the tallest tree in the world right now is a redwood tree. I think it's here in California, actually. And it stands at 379 feet tall. You ever see those pictures of like the redwoods and the sequoias you go over there and you, know, you see this huge massive tree and at the bottom is a tiny little individual. You know, And, and uh, you see these tiny people and you see these huge trees that have grown to massive sizes. Well, they didn't get there by growing just by two or three years or even five years or 10 years. These trees that grow to that massive size are in the hundreds of years. They estimate that the world's oldest tree is about 700 to 800 years old. And when I think about John, this is kind of the idea that I think about, which is, it just goes to show how God can work in the lives of his disciples given a long period of time. Just continuing to be with the Lord, hearing the Lord, trusting the Lord, following the Lord, seeing what God can do, and how that God works. Sometimes we can be in a rush. Sometimes we want things to happen right now. Uh, we We want this thing in my life right now. And I I want God to do something right now, and I I want to see some changes right now. And, And when you see some of these huge redwood trees, you come this year, and you go next year, and the year after that, sometimes it feels like, well, I don't really see too much growth going on. But year after year after year, there's just slow, steady, consistent growth. And it shows that God is not afraid to take his time to make sure that his disciples reach their goal, which is what? What is the goal of every Christian when we are here on earth? Well, the theme for this year, and I I wanna remind us all of the theme, it comes from Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. For our church, considering this verse, it says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren what's the idea here the idea here is that we know all things work together for good if we love the lord if we follow god the end result will be that we will be conformed more and more into the image of his son we will be more like christ amen all right that's the goal that's the goal for us is that we would be more like christ Which brings us to John chapter 13, verse number 23. Once again, we see this verse written by John and written about himself. It says there, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, that's John. So John is saying, I was leaning on Jesus' bosom and I was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So John is in many ways known as the apostle of love. But John is not that way by nature. His natural nature, personality, and disposition was one of passion. It was one of ambition. It was one of, in many ways, self-centeredness. He had to learn how to love. He had to learn how to love God. He had to learn how to love others. He had to learn, and he learned to love through Christ. Christ taught John how to love. He started as this rough and tough commercial fisherman, but he ended his life as this disciple that he calls himself, whom Jesus loved. When you consider some of the things that the disciples did and some of the experiences that they went through, some of us may sit here and be like, wow, that would be really wonderful if we were able to do that or see that or participate in that. But one of the things that I think is important for us to remember is that everybody can love. Everybody can love. Not everybody will be a millionaire, but everybody can love God. Not everybody can be leading huge crowds of people, but everybody can love. Everybody can love God. Everybody can love their neighbor. Everybody can love their brother or sister in Christ. And God wants his disciples to be following in God's love. And I want to see three areas in which God helped John to grow in love. The first of which is we see that John, he loved God. He grew to love God. Some of the greatest teachings of God and his love are found in the writings of John. Think about one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, if not the most famous verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a verse that we teach little children. It's verses that we give out in the nursery and the kids' ministry. When I give the gospel, a lot of times this will be the very first that I I open up my Bible to or I read. Oftentimes I'll just quote the verse. It's a wonderful verse from God's word given to us through the heart of a man that loved the Lord. Think about this verse, John 13, verse number 34. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. As I have loved you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. The mark of a disciple is demonstrated by his love for other Christians and other disciples. It's not by how much money you make. It's not by how successful you are. It's not even by how popular you are. You are known as a disciple of Christ when you love the church. Amen? Amen? And by the church I mean the people of God. We've gathered together, we've assembled together, and so we have this disciple who is known for his love for the people of God. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What about this verse in first John chapter five? It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. When we say the love of god you should love god john he loved god what does that mean well john says when i say the love of god and this of course is inspired by the holy spirit when i say the love of god i mean this that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous john 14 says if you love me keep my commandments that is the love of god to keep the word of god the commandments of god and that they are not grievous. John 15 says, "If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. Do you see how John puts the love of God and the word of God? And he realizes that they are inseparable. Do you see that? Do you see how the love of God was inseparable from the commands of God? Because just like if you love somebody and that person told you something and you totally disregarded it, people would say, do you realize that person just told you something and you totally like ignored it and disregarded it and denied it? Uh, Is there something wrong in your relationship? We would think that about somebody. And what John is saying is, I love the Lord. And I want to keep his commandments. Matthew chapter 22, even Jesus himself said, of the greatest commandment, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Even Jesus himself said, all right, of all the commandments in the Bible, the greatest is this, you should love God. Amen? So the love of God and the commands of God are inseparable. Now the love of God is not a religious grind through the duty of obedience. Oh, I gotta go to church, I gotta read my Bible, I gotta do these things because the Bible said that. I really wanna do this but I shouldn't because the Bible said so. The love of God moves you so that you love to obey the word of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Do you love to obey the word of God? Uh, when you get to read the bible is it a joy is it something that you're like god is speaking to me i remember when i got saved the very next morning so i you know i I got saved at at teen camp and uh, i got saved on a friday night they had a service there they started about seven o'clock the service and uh, that service went until about 9.30, 10 o'clock or so. And so there was singing, there was preaching, there was all sorts of different things. It was the very last night of the camp. And so we, we went all the way through. And at the very end, you know, I, the Holy Spirit had been working on my heart for the last several days. And I, I finally trusted Christ as my Savior. It was a Friday. It was the 2nd of July. And so I got saved. And I, you know, I was so thankful for that. I remember the very next morning, I got up and I said, well, you know, I should read my Bible. I remember I took my Bible and I went out to my car and uh, just to get a little bit of silence, you know, get away from everything. I remember I opened up, you know, I didn't know where should I read? So I thought, well, it's July the 3rd, so I should read the proverb of the day, right? There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Some people read one chapter of Proverbs a day uh, through the month and then they, they go back again. A lot of great words of wisdom. So I thought, well, I'm not really sure where I should be reading, so I'll just read that. I got into Proverbs chapter number three, and I got down eight verses before I had to stop and say, oh, this is too much. I realized, wow, there's so much great wisdom in the word of God. And I felt like God was speaking to me and there was a there was a big difference. And I realized, ah, this was the difference between when I was lost and, and uh, you know the youth group would say, hey, let's all read our Bibles this year. Let's see if we can read through the Bible this year and, and all these different things. That, there was a big change and a difference in my heart. And I realized that's the difference between being lost and being saved. There's a difference between uh, loving God and just going through a religious duty because the believer who loves God loves to hear from God amen right just like somebody you love you know you might be married you might have you know close friends family members you see that text message come in and their name comes up at the top you want to click on that you want to open it up you want to see what they have to say you want to hear their voice and just like the Christian also wants to hear from God and hear the voice of God he wants to hear why does God do what he does Oh, what what is God's thought process through why he is doing this in my life? Or why did God do this for that person? He wants to hear from God. And John certainly was a disciple that he loved the Lord. But where did this kind of love come from? You ever wonder that? You know you're supposed to do something in the Bible, but you're wondering, well, how am I supposed to do that? I know I'm supposed to love God, but how do I do that? Well, John gives a few verses. We see that his love was a response. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, we love him because he first loved us. Do you realize that God loves you? Have you forgotten that God loves you? He loves you. He's always loved you. He's never not loved you. And we can love God because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, he that loveth not, knoweth not God for God is love. Where does love come from? It comes from God because God is love. First John chapter three, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. All that we do in love for the Lord is a response to God's initial love for us. It's also a remembrance. John loved God in part because he remembered All that God had done for him. When writing the Gospel of John, he doesn't refer to himself by name. He refers to himself a number of times with this particular phrase. We read it earlier in John 13. It says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. It's an interesting phrase because Jesus loved all of his disciples, did he not? He loved all of them. It's not like he loved John, but he didn't love James, right? It's not like he loved John, but he didn't love Peter or Andrew or any of the other disciples. We know that for God so loved the world, amen? And Jesus loved all of his disciples. But John, it seems, was very clear in his mind when he was writing this gospel and when he was writing the other books. He was very aware of how much God really loved him. And in his relationship and in writing these verses and living his Christian life, he was thinking about, wow, Jesus loves me. Wow, I'm the kind of person that Jesus loved. Jesus loved me. He died for me. He rose again from the dead for me. He did all of these things for me. And he's doing all of these things through me. Uh, John was able, I believe, to really be known as the apostle of love because he thought so much about the love of God. Have you thought about God's love in your life? about how God has been good to you. God has been good to us, hasn't he? He's been wonderful to us. He's given us a wonderful church. He's given to us the word of God. He's given us, we live in this wonderful nation. God has been very good to us, and sometimes it's easy for us to forget some of these things. It's easy for us to complain and gripe about the little things, but God wants us to know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget God's faithfulness his generosity, his mercy to you. Because if we forget how much God has loved us, we will cease to love God back. For God is love. We also notice that his, relation, his love was a relationship. We read this verse earlier, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. The Christian walk is not just about rules and rewards. That's what a lot of people think about. That's what religion is, right? Religion is rules and rewards, right? You do these things and you get to go to heaven or whatever the rules might be of a particular religion. But at the base of the rules of the Lord, we know that the Bible has a lot about rules, right? Laws, thou shalt, thou shalt not, and rewards, you know, we think about crowns and and things like that in heaven. At the base of all of those things is a relationship that we have with God, okay? All of those things at the base is a relationship. The love in that relationship is what we are talking about. So I, I have a couple of kids and uh, they're still pretty young. And when I have my kids with me and you know we're crossing the street or you know, we're walking, you know, we've gone to the store and we park in the parking lot and we're about to go into the store, you know, so there's, there's, you know, me and my wife, there's two of us, we got two little kids, so I take one child, my wife will take, you know, the other child, and, you know, I have a rule. If we cross the street, you have to hold my hand. That's a rule, all right? Doesn't matter if we're at a crosswalk and the light and all of those things, you hold my hand. When we're in a parking lot, I say, hold my hand, we're in a parking lot. You never know, a car might come out, car might be parking and pull out, you know, and they're not gonna be aware of that, the driver may not see that, so I always make sure you need to hold my hand. There's, there's a rule that I have when I, when I go to the store with my kids. Now, should my kids respond with, ugh, dad is all about rules, ugh, dad doesn't want us to have any fun, dad just wants to tell us what to do, right? No, they know. I made this rule because I love them, amen, right? The rule is not for me, right? I don't need to hold their hand, but they need to hold my hand, amen? So I made a rule that they have to hold my hand. And the same is true for God and his children. God says to his children, I want to keep you safe, amen? I want to keep you from danger. I don't want you to get into trouble. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to go through these things. So here are some rules. You need to understand what is safe and what is not safe. You need to understand my love for you. That's what Christianity is about. What Christianity is about is that God loves us, wants to have a relationship with us. And because of that relationship, he has given to us rules. Just like we have rules in our house, me and my wife, we have certain rules. All right, if we do this, we got to do it this way and all of these things. We have rules. Why? Because we love each other and we have a relationship. And we want the best for that relationship. And that's what God has for us. And so John understood this relationship in love, John seventeen three. This is eternal life. I'm sorry. And this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent do you realize what John or what Jesus is saying but John here is writing to us what he's saying is we all want life eternal amen when we die we all want to go to heaven but it's not just about going to heaven what is life eternal knowing God amen All right, that's what John is saying. He's saying, this isn't just about, all right, if you do these things, then you get to go to heaven. Heaven is wonderful because God is there. Amen? That's what makes heaven wonderful. That's what makes heaven worth going to. And that is that relationship that we have. So we know that John, he loved the Lord, he loved God. Not only that, he loved the truth. John uses the word truth. more than all of the other gospels combined. So even though John was known as the apostle of love, that he loved God, he also loved the truth. John chapter one says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John four, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So while we know that John, he loved the Lord, he also loved the truth. And what we learn from John about the truth is that the truth can be confrontational. Even though John is the apostle of love, it doesn't mean that he was all soft and gooey and just about feelings and that's not what love is anyway. But just to emphasize the point, he loved the truth, and some of the most black and white statements, this or that, you're either here or you are there, some of these most uh, strongest statements come from John. First John chapter 1, verse number 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's pretty black and white, amen, right? Either you're walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. If you say that you love God, if you know God, if you have fellowship with God, if you're following God, but you're walking in darkness, you know what John just said? Liar, Oh, that's strong words. That's confrontational. Life against death is what he says in John chapter 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath eternal life or everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John chapter 8, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So here is John. He is known as this apostle of love, and he did love the Lord, but he also loved the truth. He was not going to abandon the truth in order to have love. Not that you could separate the two in the Lord, of course. But John makes it very clear, and there's a very obvious distinction. There is no wiggle room with John because he loved the truth. Because God is not just love, God is also the truth. First John chapter 5, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. See, God's love for us does not mean that he denies the truth about us. He holds the truth and he still loves us some of the strongest statements, as I mentioned in the Bible, about love and about God, and and some of these just statements that would be, whoa, that's that's saying something, come from John. First John chapter one, verse number six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. A few verses later, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. You see, John, time and time and time again, makes it very plain and clear. He makes it very simple. If you love God, you will obey God. Amen? I mean, that's as simple as it gets. If you love God, you will obey him. If you don't obey God, you don't love him. Wow! Wow! wow, John, wow, that's very harsh. It's a very difficult statement to receive. But it's the truth, is it not? It's the truth, is it not? It is the truth. If we say we love God and we disregard what he says, then we cannot say that we love him. Because if we loved him, we would obey him. Now, why is John being so adamant and making these statements so plain and clear? It's because he knew, as God knew, that it is the truth that makes you free. John chapter eight, verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is the truth that makes you free, and it is lies that keep you in bondage. And it is that confrontation with the truth that drives us to Christ, that sets us free. Amen? Amen. God wants to set us free. And that is why he has given to us the truth. Because the truth is, everyone is a sinner. That's the truth. I know people want to think of themselves as I'm a pretty good person. But the truth is, we're all sinners. We have all broken the word of God. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We have all gone away. We have all gone astray. We have all gone our own way away from the Lord. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. For all have come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. But God had to give us the truth so that we could be free from sin, amen? But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God says, all right, I want to set you free. You know how I'm going to set you free? You have to realize that you're not free. You're in bondage and sin. And I want to set you free. And I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, then you can be made free. So God wants us to be free. And God has given to us the truth. Sometimes it can be confrontational. Sometimes it doesn't always feel good. But it is what we need the truth is also commanding in first john chapter 2 he says he that saith i know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him so once again john is making it very clear if we know god and we love god we will follow the word of god the truth is not just something we know the truth is something that demands a response all right. If we acknowledge that we're a sinner and we realize that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins, we must call upon the name of the Lord to save us from our sins. Amen. All right. The truth is if I'm a sinner and Jesus died on the cross, so I don't have to pay the wages of sin, there is a response that I must have, which is I must call upon Jesus. I must abandon my works, I must abandon my religion, I must abandon all of these other things, accept the truth of God's word and put my trust in Jesus Christ. And specifically, the truth moves us to, after we get saved, to obey the word of God. Because the truth demands a response. Let's take it into the real world. Let's say you have a business, you own a business, and sales are falling. You used to have a business that was doing pretty good. Now your sales are falling and And your sales are falling because your product is not as good as somebody else's product. There's a competitor out there that has made the same thing, but better. And that's why your sales are falling. Because people are realizing, wait a second, this guy's got a better thing, I'm gonna go over there, okay? Now, the truth is, my product is inferior to their product. Now that's not gonna feel good, nobody wants to think that, right? But if you're going to save your business, you've got to do something about that. Amen? Right? You have to acknowledge, you know what? Their product's better than our product. We have to make our product better. All right? We have to do something to our product. We have to make it cheaper. We have to bring up the quality. We have to add some features. We have to do something different. We have to do something better. Or you can deny the truth and just say, ah, no, our product's just as good as their product. And guess what? Your sales will just keep falling if you deny the truth. If you're in a doctor's office and the doctor says the test results came back and they don't look good. Either you can accept the truth that you need to make some major changes in your life or go through some treatment or you know in severe cases go through a surgery or you can deny the truth and just keep living however you want to live, right? You have you have two options here but when the truth is now in your face, it demands a response, right? Maybe before you didn't know. If you didn't know, you didn't know. But if you know, you have to do something about it, right? Either you're gonna deny it, or you will accept it and do something with it. But the truth demands a response. But we also know that the truth is concrete. It gives us security first john chapter 3 verse 18 my little children let us not love in word neither in tongue but in deed and in truth and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him so john is saying we know that we are in the truth because we know that we are in the truth we will assure our hearts before him meaning there is security in the truth see if you have your security in your feelings we all know this our feelings go up and down right sometimes you wake up and you don't even know why you're in a bad mood right you don't even know why and so our feelings can go up and down our financial situation can go up and down don't we realize that now right the last two three years we realized wow a lot of things can change very rapidly and maybe you find your security in your family. But of course, we know that family situations can, of course, always change. But if you find your security in God and in the truth, you will realize your security will never change because God never changes and the truth never changes either. Amen? Amen. Right? So if your security is in something that doesn't change, you will continue to be secure. First John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he's saying, all right, we know that we are of the truth, and those that hear the truth, they are of us. There is a great security in the truth. For instance, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once you have eternal life, you always have eternal life, amen? Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. Don't you feel so secure knowing, hey, I'm on my way to heaven, and nothing in the world can change that. Nothing in the world can change that. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what I do, It doesn't matter what they do, if we are born again and born into the family of God, God is our Heavenly Father forever. Amen? We can find great security in that. And that security is not found in your feelings. It's not found in your circumstances. It is found in the truth. So that's why John loved the truth. He loved the Lord. He loved the truth. But thirdly, we see that John also loved people. He loved people. His greatest joy was in other people. His greatest joy was not in how much money he made, not in the admiration of other people, not in his personal accomplishments. His greatest joy was in other people. Third John chapter, uh, verse number four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth that was his greatest joy. John loved people, which of course makes sense because those that love God love the brethren. First John chapter 4, if a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So of course naturally if you love God, you're going to love people, specifically the people of God. And John loved other people so much I mentioned this before, he doesn't even use his own name. In his gospel, he is brought up a number of times, but he doesn't use his own name. He always refers to himself, or in many cases at least, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know what that tells me about John? John wanted to make sure this is not about me. It's not about me. It's about the Lord and the Lord, what he can do for you. He was also serving in John 13, verse number 14. It says, if I then, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. So this passage is, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that before Jesus was crucified, there is a time when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And during that time when he was there together with the Passover, doing the Lord's Supper, he washed the feet of the disciples. You remember this? He washed the feet of the disciples. Now, Of course, you know, that would have been a duty for the lowest of servants to do as you entered into the house. So that would have been the expectation that the lowest person on the, uh, you know, in in rank, if you will, is the one to wash the feet of everybody else that would walk in. But it is Jesus, the highest, who has humbled himself to wash the feet of all. You would have thought everybody would remember this, right? Right? and I'm sure that they did, but John is the only one to include it in the gospel, right? It's not found in Matthew. It's not found in Mark. It's not found in Luke. I know all of these are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and there's specific purposes for each of these books, but John is the only one to include it. He includes it in part because, wow, Jesus loves me. He realizes that. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also have love one, uh, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love, if ye have love one to another. John was also sacrificing. We know that John was the only apostle not to be martyred, and yet he faced great persecution. He wrote a a number of things about sacrifice in John 15. He says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hereby perceive we the love of God, that because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we know that John loved people. We know that he loved people because he served them, he sacrificed for them, but also because he shared with others. See, John had some incredible experiences. He had some incredible insights. He had some incredible opportunities. And he wanted to share that with other people. He wanted to share that with others. And the Christian life in many ways is about receiving from God and sharing it with others. Amen? Receiving salvation. Are you saved today? Have you trusted Christ as your savior? Trusted in Christ and Christ alone. Are you saved today? Are you happy in the salvation? Are you glad God saved you? That's a wonderful thing for us to know. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to share with somebody else? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven for all of eternity. Guess what? You could be saved too. You could be saved for all of eternity. You could go to heaven as well maybe you're even sitting here today and maybe you've been going to church but you know that you're not saved you know when i when i was a kid i said that i was saved i got baptized and it was many years later that finally the holy spirit fully worked on my heart and i realized you know what i have never gotten saved and that was all of the the reason why i was struggling there were doubts all different things until i finally did get saved it's wonderful But maybe you're in this situation where maybe you did grow up in this church. Maybe you're familiar with the Bible. Maybe you even say, well, I prayed a prayer one time and those things are nice and wonderful. But are you saved? You could be saved today. What about receiving the word of God? You ever read a verse and think, wow, this is the verse that I needed. Wow, God's really speaking to my heart. You could share that with somebody, right? What a wonderful thing to do. You could receive the power of God and use that for others, receive the grace of God. John received so much from God and he wanted to share it with other people. He wanted them to have the blessings of God. In 2 John he says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. He says, I've received so much grace and mercy. I want you to have that same grace and mercy as well. He wanted them to have fellowship with God. In 1 John he says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to have the same fellowship with God that we have. It's a wonderful fellowship. And I'm writing these things down so that you could have that same fellowship with us. He also wanted them to have prosperity from God. In 3 John, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He says, I've been praying for you that God would prosper you in the way that he prospered me, in the way that I was able to have the love of God and hear the truth of God's word and grow in that relationship. I want that same prosperity for you. And that's the kind of disciple that John was. John was known as the apostle of love. And that manifested itself because he loved God and he loved the truth and he loved people.